Welcome to the Enrollment Edge, a podcast for college enrollment and marketing leaders. I'm your host, Jay Fetch. The Enrollment Edge is sponsored by Enrollment Fuel, a trusted full-service student search and marketing partner to colleges and universities across the country. If you'd like to learn more about Enrollment Fuel services, or you have questions about today's episode, we've included a link to our website in the show notes. You can also email us at edge at enrollmentfuel.com. We'd love to hear what you think. You can help us by subscribing to our podcast, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Today on the Enrollment Edge, I dig into the topic of financial aid and college access in the first of a two-part series with Megan Hartless, coordinator of aid and scholarships at Blue Ridge Community College. Megan is a veteran of building unique and effective financial aid policies that target providing access to higher education. As the landscape of college enrollment changes in the coming years, it's estimated the demand for financial resources for first-generation and high-need students will increase dramatically. College financial aid and enrollment leaders will have to be intentional about providing limited financial resources if their hope is to enroll and graduate those students. The bottom line, many colleges will have to shift their aid model from providing what students want to providing what they need. Thanks for coming today, Megan. We're just glad to have you on uh, the Enrollment Edge, and we're going to be talking financial aid. So welcome to, to the Edge today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, you know, financial aid is uh, it's kind of a love-hate thing, isn't it? I mean, in your bio, <laughs> gluttony for punishment was yeah. one, of the, one of the phrases on there. And and I've worked with financial aid for years, and obviously you've worked with financial aid for years. And it's a, it's a um, you know, it's a very positive thing when it works. For sure. And it provides access. And it, but it's a tough thing, you know, to adjust and and allocate and and any any all of this. And we're going to talk about a lot of that today. Yeah. But one of the things that comes to mind first of all, and I and I, I remember talking to financial aid folks that worked for me uh, a number of years, and I would say something along the lines of, "What keeps you up at night as a, as a financial aid yeah. coordinator uh, at a community college? What is it that what is it that keeps you up at night?" Um, there are there are two primary areas I think that just give me enormous heartburn. Yeah. Um, one is the poverty that we see in our student population. Oh, yeah. Um, and the other is just this general looming scary idea of student debt. Oh, um, right. But yeah, so poverty and debt, I'd say, are the things that that keep me up at night. Um, more than anything else. And I think um, I have a lot of personal experience with student debt. um, And what we see in our population of students in the Virginia Community College system, you know, obviously not every single student comes from a background of poverty, but we're in Mm -hmm. a pretty rural area in Weir's Cave. um, And the, the level of rural poverty that we see coming through our doors, um, is something that we have to throw a lot of focus at. Um, right. Something that is huge. Now, I mean, that's not unique to a community college by any any measure. Yeah. Uh, private colleges, big publics, uh, four year schools, uh, also are tangling with oh, sure. uh, the poverty measure. And it, okay, so it you know, keeps you up at night. What are those things that you do? What measures do you take with your team to work with students? Uh, that are coming from a high need community, a high need uh, situation. 
So we, we have to approach this from a number of different angles. In the, in the world of financial aid, of course, um, the access to assistance with completing the FAFSA, getting into the high schools and making sure that students are aware mm-hmm. of the options before they get to the point where they're applying for colleges and trying to complete the FAFSA because there, there is money out there. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, a big part of it is encouraging early applications, which tends to leave some people in the dust. But there's a lot of the funding that we get that we just don't get enough of um, that that's, you know, sort of first come, first serve. And so those students who are getting their FAFSAs in in January, February, March are much more likely mm-hmm to get those limited state funds and those federal SEOG grants, which are very small, um, you know, so to apply early, but sort of outside the financial aid world, our campus takes a a pretty comprehensive approach Mm -hmm, at addressing mm -hmm. poverty. We have a wonderful campus organization called Beyond the Blue um, that is run by our uh, head of our human services department. um, And she has interns that staff it and they provide um, coordination with a lot of wraparound services. So they do a lot of intakes to help connect people with community resources Mm-hmm. that might be available to them um and you know things like housing assistance and food assistance we actually have a lunch to go program for students who can't afford to bring lunch on campus with them and they get a voucher to use in our cafeteria uh, if they can show enough financial need which i think is just wonderful mm-hmm. um, we connect them to to our local food pantries and and things like that for for off-campus food resources um We have a program, the whole Virginia Community College system has contracted with a program called uh, Single Stop, and it is... it's an electronic resource that helps students connect to and apply for various community benefits, generally your means-tested benefits like SNAP and WIC and things like that. Um, so that's really become a more obvious need. Uh, so the, the VCCS uh, recognized that they needed to kind of get people out, uh, out, get them out into applying for these items. Um huh. Is, is that a, is that a Virginia things, a single stop? I, I, I've not heard of that. You know, before. I have not worked with it personally, so I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's a Virginia thing, Yeah. Um, yeah. but I do know it's not local because it, it is all of our state that is using it. Okay. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It would be something that would be interesting to look into. It'd be nice to see if it was nationwide. Well, if it wasn't nationwide, it would be great to, for somebody that's listening to this to replicate it in their yeah, state because absolutely. resource, uh, you know, resource availability is, is a challenge for a lot of folks, but, but folks that are first generation or haven't navigated the college uh, process before or have a high need, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that resource availability is even more difficult to navigate. Definitely. Um, yeah. And it's, it's very daunting. I think particularly if you are, there's a lot of stigma about applying for benefits. You know, there are some people who mm-hmm. they sort of take pride in, you know, not, uh, yeah. not digging into benefits and, oh, I don't want to apply for that because that's not the kind of person that I am. So we really, sure. as much as we can try to destigmatize it and say, Hey, you know, this is a, this is a period of your life where you are already in by being in school, working to better yourself. Let us boost you up 
and get you through. And then you go out and contribute to the next generation by Mm -hmm. working in the workforce and paying the taxes that subsidize these things. Um, So there's a, there's a lot of, um, a lot of resistance. I think some people, there are probably a lot of people who are eligible Mm -hmm. who are not applying. Uh, So we, we do try to, to make, we have a pretty broad awareness campaign to try to make people aware of these things. Um, but then, you know, we still also get students who come in and we'll mention it to them and they'll say, Oh, I never knew. And, you know, well, there's a flyer every six feet on campus and you know, how do you get a student to read their email? But, right, right. Uh, that, that's also just kind of part of working with college students that, you know, they, they kind of, they see in a little tunnel and they, they don't necessarily stray from what they're looking for, um, so until they go looking for it, they may not necessarily become aware of it. Um, one other thing I did want to mention that we do that I, I love is that we have um, something called BRCC Cares, which mm-hmm. is it's like a food bank, but for toiletries, okay. um, because it's it's often very easy to find food assistance for some folks. Oh, yeah, but, sure. um, you know, finding things like shampoo and deodorant and sunscreen can be a lot more difficult. Um, so huh. we we have little care packages that we we give a student um i don't know what you my, my dad always called it a dop kit which is uh like a little a little travel case that's yeah. full of toiletries and then when it's empty they can come and bring it back and and get it refilled which i think is super cool you know it it's it, as, as we talk about this you know uh the the heading of this is financial aid but it's it's really just access it's it's support yeah. resources it right and and finances is one of them but there's so much more. So it's just, and, and I and I speak from uh, from knowledge of a lot of folks that are in financial aid and enrollment management that feel that we just throw money at people. If you just throw a bigger grant or a bigger scholarship, that's going to really take care of the problem. And and as you're talking about, it's not even close to kind of uh, filling that that need gap because need is not just just money. Yeah, no kidding. And I think um, a big part of the problem uh, and and one of the the reasons that advocacy groups like NASFA and the state organizations are so important to the work that we do in financial aid is that it's not just about getting money. It's Mm -hmm. about getting money to be used in the right way. Uh, We have had so many really well-intentioned COVID-related relief funds that have come out over over the last, you know, 19, 20 months. And it has been so frustrating for them to say, here are several million dollars, but you can Mm -hmm. only spend it in this way. Um, and, and for us to, you know, for, for us to be so limited Mm -hmm. on the ways that we can spend the money that we're given. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's a, that's another huge part of access is, you know, at the school level, it's very, very important. Um, and I think, I know at Blue Ridge, we do a tremendous job of interdepartmental communication and working as a cohesive team instead of sort of siloed departments, like you hear about, um, in some institutions. And I've worked in some institutions that were very siloed. Um, but I, I think that beyond what's happening on campuses are advocacy groups that really get the, the ear of legislators a little better than individuals from college campuses mm-hmm. who can say, Hey, great. Thanks for giving us this money. This is what we need it for. Right. Um, can, can be really, really helpful as far as access. 
Right. And, and, you know, this, uh, we're talking, uh, with Megan Hartless from Blue Ridge community college, but, um, so much of what you're, you're talking about, I think there's some four year, uh, schools that may have said, well, that's really not, not our, our clientele. Uh, that's not our, our demographic. And the reality of the demographics is that uh, they're shrinking. There's fewer students that are going to college because 18 years ago, there were fewer students being born. And so consequently, we've got, we've got a, a shrinking population of college bound, but the growing populations within that, the mix of, of that are uh, uh, populations, communities that need academic mediation, that mm-hmm. need financial mediation, that uh, the the number of first gen students that are going to college are growing, and so this isn't something. If, if a school isn't seeing it now, it it uh, it's going to be on their doorstep soon. So they they really do have to begin. I think schools have to begin to plan, and have to begin to understand the communities that will be wanting to come to their the school for education. And, and honestly, you know, from a community college perspective, that, that's one thing I think that four-year schools would go, oh, well, I understand that. But you're sending transfers to them. Oh, that, yeah. And, and those, they're going to be, you know, uh, they're going to need a four-year degree for their, you know, their career. And as you send those transfers, the, the, their, their situation doesn't go away. Right. Uh, it comes, it comes with them. And so uh, for, for transfer, we, we've talked with, with a number of folks over the past year on this podcast about transfers yep. and that population needing resources and support intentionality mm-hmm. uh, in order to, to get them through to graduation. And, and you're, you're right at the very threshold. You're at the front end of that process, right? What, yeah. what, what advice would you give as, as you were working with these two-year college students, what advice would you give your counterparts at the four-year school that are going to be receiving those transfers uh, in, you know, in the coming months and coming years? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm going to tell you some amazing secrets that I know about uh, community oh, college yeah. students that four-year colleges don't seem to know. And if they're okay. listening to this podcast, they can, um, this is going to help their enrollment management. Yeah. Okay. So I think that four-year colleges forget what a wise investment a community college student with an associate degree is. Mm. Yeah. Um, when I was in the four-year sector, and I've worked in, in four-year private and four-year public, and it was really kind of the same, um, but particularly in the four-year private sector, there's sort of this sense that there's less value in a transfer student because you only get them mm. for two years. Sure. Um, you know, you get you get two years of revenue from them, you get two years of in, instruction on them. So why waste your resources on someone that you're not going to get four years of revenue right, from? Right. And and from a 10,000 foot view, I can understand that train of thought. Um, but I think it's very short-sighted. I think there's this amazing secret um, about two-year community college students that we have this tendency, or four-year colleges that I've worked with have this tendency to devalue the yeah. the two-year student that's coming in with an associate degree because they look at them as um, less revenue. You only get two yeah. years. You don't right. get four years out of them. So you don't... Um, you don't have that um, that long term value, um, but I know some things about two year students uh, yeah. that four year colleges need to know. Number one, they're already invested; they've gotten an associate's degree. I 
if I was looking at revenue and trying mm-hmm. to decide if a better investment in my scholarship dollars was mm-hmm. an 18 year old coming out of high school, maybe with a C average um, that, you know, played some sports pretty well or was in some sort of arts organization and, and like legitimately pretty good, but sort of in that gray area where you're not necessarily going to retain all four yeah. years yeah. Uh, versus you take this, you know, 26, 27 year old single mom who has worked her fingers to the bone mm, to get that right. associate degree. So she can come into a community uh, to a, from a community college into a four-year college. That to me is the more wise investment right? Um, because you've got this person who has already shown they're capable of getting it done. Right. Um, and that's not to say that 18 year old kid isn't going to, right. but if yeah. I'm trying to figure out where to invest, I don't yeah. want to lose out on that two yeah. very likely years mm-hmm. when we know the retention rate for freshman students is not great. Yeah. Right. Um, Right. So I think uh, I don't I don't have numbers. I'd love to see numbers on how many students who come into a four year with an associate make it to a bachelor's. I imagine it's probably pretty good. It's actually very Um, high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I you know, I really I really think that's um, something that four years need to take under advisement. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing that four years really ought to look at is um, what bringing in students with less debt to start with does mm, for mm-hmm. their college as a whole. Community college students, by and large, borrow so much less than four-year students. Uh, at Blue Ridge, I am very, very proud to say that since I've been at Blue Ridge, and probably yeah. before, but I've only been monitoring it since I've been there, we only 12% of our population borrows. 12%? 12%. Percent, uh, and that's not FAFSA wow. filers. That is the whole population. But we work very hard to keep our our borrowing down. It it comes back and bites us sometimes with the cohort default rate because when sure. the uh, when the when the denominator is small, it doesn't take much in the numerator yeah. the numerator to get right. the um, get the default rate up. But knowing that I'm only sending you know three or four hundred kids a year out with a loan, yeah. Um, is, you know, you, you can't say that about most four-year privates. And so when they have their statistics for average amount borrowed per student, Mm -hmm. your transfer students drive that down because they haven't borrowed as much. When you look at your cohort default rate, you're, you've got people who are already coming in with a completed degree and they're going to have a smaller repayment amount and they're right. going to be, it's going to be more manageable for them, more likely for them to actually borrow. So coming, you know, community college students make your loan statistics look really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's a, you know, so that's a really wise, I think, um, you know, we, we have articulation agreements with a lot of mm-hmm schools in the state, but that really only extends into admission. Mm-hmm, um, right. What that articulation agreement doesn't guarantee is affordability. Um, and I, I think until our four years start really competing mm-hmm. for affordability for our transfer, our transfer students with associate degrees, we're going to see more students get their associate degree and stop. Um, yeah. I, and I think there's a pretty big trend of that already. We have a lot of people who are going, you know what? A four-year degree isn't really worth it. I can go out and get an associate 
and that's it. That's all my employer is asking for. Right, um, they right. may make less money, but they may have more satisfaction and they'll have less debt. Right. Right. You know, they use the, use the a word affordability and, and yeah. uh, uh, that is such a subjective term because mm-hmm. and, and it really has to do with the construct of uh, previous wealth and, sure. um, and, provision. So uh, if, if someone is coming in from a family, uh, two parents, both are professionals, uh, they are working, there's an assumption of going to college and loan, that dollar debt uh, has a lighter weight to it than a single parent family coming in. And that person is coming from a high need community where that weight of that dollar is significantly more And so consequently, uh, if they're coming, as you, you know, just to reiterate your point, if they're coming in with, with little to no debt already, uh, that weight is suddenly much lighter at that point mm-hmm. because they're not, they're not carrying, they're dragging a bag of debt with them into their four-year program. And, and honestly, to, you know, you still need a four-year, you still need a four-year degree to be a teacher and, a, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of professional, uh, degrees that still need that four-year degree. So if, if, if there are, there's the dream of being the lawyer, the nurse, the doctor at certain levels, then yeah, four-year degrees are a part of that. And, and lightening the first two years of that load uh, mm-hmm. for a transfer is absolutely one of those things that, uh, you, like you said, a f- the four-year enrollment manager has to pay attention to yeah. in order to, to lighten that. Now, now uh, did, you, did you get all the secrets? I want to make sure you got the secrets because those are, those are really important. I think that's, I think that's okay. my all my secrets. Okay. For now, well, those, they're I, good. If I think of any other ones, I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. Come along. If you, if during this time you, you get one, then yeah, we'll make sure you jump it in. But you, I'll you just also, call her out secret. <laughs> sounds good. We'll do that. Yeah. The, the other, the other piece that you, you talked about, and this is, uh, this is a third rail issue for everyone. And that's student debt. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> student debt, uh, is tied, in my opinion, to uh, it, it's to need versus want. Um, yeah. Do you need the money? Do you want the money? Do you need financial aid? Do you want act the the uh, the the acclamation of the award um, scholarship versus grant? I mean, there's there's a lot of that, and mm-hmm. behind it is this debt. And we've yep. talked a lot about. I really want to dive in with more of this with you to, to gather your opinions because, uh, you know, as you know, uh, within this administration, previous administrations and looking forward, uh, the, the federal administration is looking at debt cancellation. They're looking at debt relief. They're looking at, you know, certain categories of Mm -hmm. public service and debt relief. You know, they're, 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 they're dancing with it, but they only dance with it because it's a monster. Yeah. If it wasn't, if it wasn't a monster, we wouldn't be talking about this. This would be not a, not a problem, but average debt load coming out of a four-year program. I love it. The fact that you said out of a two-year program, it's really, really low, but if, for, for a four-year program, the national numbers are staggering. Yep. And, and that, yeah. that to, that to anybody listening to this should be a major concern simply because I think there is going to be a, a reversal. You know, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a, not only just pumping the brakes on this, but there's going to be a lot of students that will look at that and go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, there's no For way. Sure. Yep. 
So, yeah. so, so talk about talk about your 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 experience, your sense, what's happening now as you look into the the tea leaves, what is coming? Um, so okay, I want I want to frame this a little bit by who is borrowing in the yeah. community college system. Yeah. Um, it's really it's a really interesting dichotomy when you compare your dependent students to your independent students. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I did a comprehensive study of our population three or four years ago um, to look at just a variety of different things about our just to get a, a, an aid profile mm-hmm. of our students. Um, what we found. Um, one of the most significant things that we found is when you look at dependent students, mm-hmm. it's the affluent students who are borrowing. When you look at independent students, it's the impoverished students who are borrowing. Okay. Um, I, want you, I want you to say that one again, because I'm going to yeah. get my head around that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So now think about it in, in terms of price and it helps you understand this. If you're looking at a community college student, so yeah. for, for an entire year at Blue Ridge um, for like 15 credits a semester for fall and spring is going to be a little under $5,000. So it's yeah. not a lot, right? It doesn't cost a lot to begin with. And there are affluent families who can pay $5,000 easily. They can write the check, right? They can write a check. But some of them are savvy and they know if my mm. son or daughter gets a student loan and I pay it, then that establishes a credit history for them. Okay. And when they're out of school, they have a credit score that's a decent credit score and I don't have to get them a credit card. So that's great. Right. We also have a significant amount of people who live beyond their means. And so mm. they they may on paper look very much like they could afford 5,000, right. you know, on paper, it may say they make $180,000 a year in a family, mm-hmm. but they may also have a $3,000 a month mortgage and $5,000. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's easy for them to go, you know what, I can, I can afford to pay $300 a month on a parent mm-hmm. plus loan, or I can mm-hmm. afford to, you know, to pay a Stafford loan for my son or daughter. Um, but I can't just dump it all right now at the beginning of the semester. And some right. people, even our payment plan is a little bit, you know, we only break it up into five installments for the semester. So sure. it's still fairly large chunks, um, particularly for a full-time student, yeah. um, which 80% of our population is not full-time. Um, okay. At okay. Blue Ridge. So that's, we have a lot of part-timers. Uh, now, and if you flip that and look at our independent students, mm-hmm. they are the students who they need every resource they can get. Sure. So they, they come in, they fill out their FAFSA, they have a zero EFC, they get a full Pell, they get a state grant, they may get another federal grant, and then they go, it's not enough. I'm going to have to work 80 hours a week if I just have this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to borrow my max loans so that I can reduce my workload and get through college faster, which is great when it works, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't always. And, you know, that is, that is a trap. I think Um, a lot of students get into a lot of debt and they don't complete. Um, And we know our, our non-traditional students are a little bit less likely to complete than Mm -hmm. our, um, our dependent undergrad students. Uh, And so we're, you know, we see these people that are borrowing, you know, $10,000 a year 
And that's as much in, in the community college system. You can only be a sophomore, so they never have to, yeah. they never go over that 10, five. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, they're borrowing it. Sometimes they'll go half time for four years, borrow it each year, and they'll get out of an associate degree with $40,000 in, in debt. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and it's very, it's, uh, one thing that I've learned about the population of poverty that we work with is, um, and, and I, I don't say this to, to denigrate anyone at yeah. all. This comes mm-hmm. from, from studies and workshops that I've been to is that, um, when you're living in poverty, you deal in the immediate, it's much harder sure. to right. look at the, the, the long-term consequences mm-hmm. of borrowing. What you're, what you're doing is saying, this is what I need right now. I just have to mm-hmm. get this, get through this year so that I can move forward, you know, and, and it's very hard to look at that eventual consequence of yeah. what, what happens when I get to a four year and I've borrowed everything I can borrow, then it gets a little tricky. Right. Right. I so think I've there, lost the original question. Are there indicators? I'm going to maybe take us in a little different direction, but are there indicators? You, you said if, when the system works and it doesn't always work, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a trigger for me because mm-hmm. I always see systems that don't work more often than they were, or, or they don't work the way they were supposed to. Yeah. So, so somebody coming out of a, a four-year or a two-year degree coming out with $40,000 is a, an example of a system that didn't work it, right. it, it, because you shouldn't be twice, three, four times the cost of the education right. coming out in debt. And, 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 and granted there are those individuals probably out there that would say, well, that was the plan, you know, okay, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. just do it and, you know, we'll figure it out. But for others, that's the trap. They got into that and that, yeah. that helped them live, like you said, right now, uh, yes. because the tyranny of the urgent is far more important right now than what's going to be coming three or four years from now. We'll figure that out, you know, when we get there. Yeah. But but what what are the what are the indicators? What are those key indicators that you look at and you say, oh, you know, you're talking with a student in front of you and you're going, this is this is going to be more of a trap. And this student is, oh boy, we gotta we gotta be really careful. And what are those indicators that you say, oof, this is this is not gonna work well? Ooh, okay. So first semester grades, I think, are a big indicator. Mm. Um, and you know. We, we do, I feel like we do a tremendous job coaching our satisfactory academic progress or our SAP students, um, at Blue Ridge and helping them get back on track. Um, but it can, you can dig yourself into a hole pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't give me as much worry when we're dealing with a student who's just getting pal and who says, no way I'm not taking loans. When it becomes a borrowing situation, it can get really, um, it can get pretty hairy pretty quickly. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you get into your first semester, you get, you know, two D's and two F's, right? Okay, great. So then you get on SAP warning and you get a semester with financial aid to try to bring your grades back up which is great. So let's say, even if you do, you get, you come back up mathematically, it's not possible to get to the GPA you need. So you need to submit an appeal for your third semester. So now we're three semesters in probably haven't made a lot of progress. Um, and probably already, you know, 12, $13,000 in debt. Right. And we have a wonderful program, um, 
uh, with our student success advisors, where they have a workshop that students complete called the Achieving Success in College Workshop, where mm-hmm. after they have not met SAP conditions for the first time, they complete yep. this workshop and they learn about study skills and they learn about time management and they learn about campus resources and it's wonderful. And they sit down with a student success advisor and the advisor creates with them something called a personal learning contract where mm-hmm. they say, okay, this is what went wrong. This is, um, you know, where I I lost my way. These are the resources I'm now aware of that I can tap into. This is at least one Blue Ridge person I can go to if I feel like I need help. I'm drowning Mm -hmm. and I don't know where to go. Um, And then here are people in my other life. And then they create some goals for themselves and they commit to meet that student success advisor over the course of a semester. Mm -hmm. Um, And those students who go through that process do tend to come back and do better because they know they know how but it's it's frustrating because we're we're not we're not psychic we can't figure out ahead of time who's going to get into this situation yeah so it's a very just in time intervention sure um and by the time we get there they are already in debt um and, and that's where it starts so even if from that first day after they've completed that workshop, mm-hmm. they succeed. They've lost a whole year. Um, and it, it's it's not that it's a loss. Their their life is going to be richer for having failed and learned from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still can be financially pretty devastating to, to keep piling on that debt. And there are some students who, frankly, just are not conscientious. Mm-hmm. And in a community college system, there are students who are coming who are just trying to get their refund money and get through. We do a lot of work to try to identify them, identify any kind of fraud, but financial aid fraud is rampant in yeah. this country. Um, we have identified a number of fraud cases over the years that, um, you know, that you you can't tell it's fraud until the fraud has happened usually. And right. so at that point they've, you know, they've borrowed and, and gotten funds. Um, and obviously that's not the majority of people mm-hmm. who are getting mm-hmm. into debt. I, I would say it's the, the best marker for when it's going to probably go downhill is that first semester set of grades. Yeah. And, and so the stop get measures at that first semester, you intervene at that point and, and there's a conversation that says, Okay, next semester, this is the path that's going to help you. That if you stay on the same path, if you just keep doing what you're doing, you didn't know it, but you're in a you're in a pot of boiling water, and now we're telling you, you're 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 in trouble, and, right. and so so you need to you need to shift and you need to make some adjustments. Um, you know, I think those those kind of measures for for many schools, uh, the the you know dashboard indicators that someone's in trouble. Mm-hmm. Early early intervention. Oh, uh, yes. I think because at the beginning it, it, it feels like, and particularly at a community college, there'd be a lot of a lot of students that were right off at the beginning, you'd say, Oh, this is this is might be a problem. Um, we mm-hmm. don't have a community of support behind the student. Uh, the student is coming and they're uh, they're a high, high risk because of the debt. Um, mm-hmm. they have to, they have to succeed because if they don't succeed, they're going to have that that debt load on them and not have anything to show for it. And as you and I have talked about in the past, we both believe higher education, a college degree, two-year, four-year 
is a pathway is a, is a, is a, the golden ticket out of the cycle. Sure. And, and, and if, if you're, you know, honestly, if we're, if we're looking at that as being the goal, get them into out of that poverty cycle, that, that two-year degree, that four-year degree is imperative. Mm-hmm. And so, so you got to do everything you can to help them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that's um, really difficult is that warning them that something is going to happen is nowhere near as effective as when the thing actually happens. Okay, so when you get sure. a warning that says, Hey, you've got one semester to get it together or else you're going to lose your financial aid. Okay. We'll see. Uh, when sure. they get to the end of that and we say, okay, well, you, you didn't lost. get it together. We're taking your financial aid away. Sure. And they go, wait, but wait, I didn't know what I was doing. And that's, right. uh, you know, and of course there are always students who lost a loved one or they were sick or they were taking care of someone who was sick. And those are very different situations, but sure. I find that the majority of our appeals were, I didn't know how to do college. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you know, uh, that goes with poverty. They're hand in hand. Mm-hmm. College has a language. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to speak it to be able to uh, to be effective, not only in the classroom, but navigating, just getting to the classroom. You know, we we have people who they'll come in to us and just be baffled because we've asked them for their W-2. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea what that is right. because taxes are a completely foreign thing to them. And it could be, you know, they're 17 or 18 and their parents don't speak English and they mm-hmm. can't really ask them. Or it could be that they're 27 and they're disabled and they've never worked. Uh, right. I mean, you know, we have an extremely diverse population mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to their socioeconomic background and their family background and their language background. And um, it's really unsurprising to me at this point. I used to be very surprised when when people didn't know things uh, like what a W-2 is. But right. the more I learn about our population, I realize how would they know if nobody taught them? Um, sure. I had a work-study student ask me where on an envelope to put a stamp. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, that... If, yeah. How would you know if no one ever taught you? Sure, you know, it sure. It seems very, very simple, but, um, you know, so there's this language and we talk about, um, you know, be careful of your interest rates. And we talk about, um, you know, don't borrow, don't borrow more than you need and talk about refund checks and things. And that, you know, if nobody sits down and says, okay, your tuition costs $2,000, your Pell Grant mm-hmm. is $3,000. You can go to the bookstore and charge books to the mm-hmm. additional $1,000 and anything you don't come back comes back in a refund check to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then when we start saying refund, they'll say refund. I didn't pay anything. And it, uh, you know, we have this language that we have to be very, very cautious with um, because we really, we do them a disservice by, um, explaining things from the second or third step in you really have yeah. to to go backwards a little bit particularly with a community college population we have a lot of first gen students mm-hmm. their parents don't know these things or they don't speak english mm-hmm. um and, and we we just have to work on that it is a it is like speaking a different language there is yeah. a barrier that we have to break down you've been listening to part 1 of our conversation with Megan Hartless coordinator of aid and scholarships at Blue Ridge Community College. 
Please join me again for part two as we talk through college access, loan forgiveness, and the changing landscape of financial aid on the next Enrollment Edge. You've been listening to the Enrollment Edge podcast. Enrollment Edge is sponsored by Enrollment Fuel, a full-service student search and marketing partner to colleges and universities. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and review. Your feedback will help us remain relevant and on the edge. The Enrollment Edge is produced by Allison Wallace. I'm your host, Jay Fedgie. Thanks for listening. Thank you.